You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Who will never enter? Perhaps it feels a bit disrespectful to get a little pushy or punchy with our Lord, but occasionally the disciples did question him. So uh, please, I, I give you, uh, let's, let's have permission to do that with the Lord today. Lord? Really? Because when Jesus lobs the phrase, never enter the kingdom of heaven into our ears and our imaginations, I, for one, want to know what's up. And I hope you get a bit snagged in the latter parts of today's reading. Because we are not, uh, Jesus said it, that settles it kind of church. Uh, We, I hope from week to week in this place and the teaching and preaching of this place challenge you to think theologically but also to think critically of some of the the words of Jesus. And next week uh, we have an intergenerational service so we will press into these declarations of salt and light but I thought today while we kind of have the older generation in the room that we might wrestle a bit with these provocative words of Jesus. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Exceeds. This is a word that might be familiar to you, and yet is it a a fun familiar? Or is it a foreboding familiar? Exceeds. Sandy, my wife, and I were reflecting on this this past week. She works in a hospital where, uh, for several years, her evaluation, uh, yearly evaluation, um, had three categories at the end. And at the end of it, you either failed, or you met, or you exceed. It, it, It said, fails, meets, exceeds. And on any given year in her department, only one out of the 12 people could get an exceeds. That, that was part of the rules and regulations. Only one person can get an exceeds. Because that one person then would get an opportunity for a promotion or a salary increase. So you can imagine how that word became pretty foreboding in Sandy's life. Exceeds. It had so much power over her. Um, Sure, it's great to meet goals, but exceeds just felt like such a big leap for her. So daunting, so elusive, and it really became a pretty judgmental and discouraging word in her life. So what about us? Do do we have a fun relationship with (laughs) exceeds, or do we have a foreboding relationship with exceeds? Ryan, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, who were the professional and religious leaders of their day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that an ouch phrase from the Gospels? Ouchie, Jesus. What's happening here? Again, we need to kind of ask of the Lord, you seemed so great and gracious last week when you were talking about those nine congratulatory words of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, poor, meek, and merciful. You were putting the kingdom of heaven on a golden platter for us. And now this week it feels like you're taking it away, Lord. Never enter the kingdom of heaven? Which is it, Lord? You're joking. 
Well, I don't suspect Jesus is joking or that this is a riddle. But I do think maybe we need to take a few steps back and see what is Jesus saying in these last few verses of today's reading. So we back up to verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus is a law and prophet filler. Okay, that's good news. Because for some of these first century hearers, they were probably getting worried as Jesus was preaching and teaching in the Galilean um, landscape. They were wondering, was Jesus scrapping this whole rules and religious system and coming up with a whole new rule book? But Jesus, hinting at the reality that he was the new Moses, assures them, I am fulfilling what God said God would do. I am It harkens back to First Testament messages from God. I am, Jesus says, I'm the culmination of all the themes and the energies and the movements that have been set in motion before the beginning of the world. I am. So Jesus is filling and fulfilling the laws and the prophets. Then he goes on in verse 18 to say, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke, not one accent mark on a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus is a law and prophets filler, but he he also loves the law and the prophets. That's more good news. It was his book of life, and maybe sometimes we forget about that, that Jesus' Bible was all the law and the prophets. That's what he leaned on and learned from for his spiritual formation. He trusted it as a trustworthy word. These were words of life and revelation and rule for him. So he loves the law and prophets. He fills the law and the prophets. And he honors this book of life and he says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This gets a little trickier. It feels like Jesus, maybe the good news for this is that Jesus is a law and prophet's line setter. I kind of got kind of in the the hockey coach mood as I was writing and reflecting on this part of the the promise this week. Because it feels pretty judgy where Jesus says, um, some of you are going to be great and some of you are going to be least. But I thought, well, maybe Jesus is kind of like a law and prophets coach juggler, line setter. There's fourth liners and there's first liners. You've got your first liners, your second liners, your third liners, your fourth liners, and they all work together as part of the team. And so the good news is even those of us, when Jesus gets judgy on us and says, you are least in the kingdom, at least you're in the kingdom. They're not shamed. They're not abandoned. They're in. And then finally, return to Jesus' zinger text of the day. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And how we might reflect on this as good news is that Jesus is a law and prophet's overachiever. If the fourth liners get in, then what gives with this never enter the kingdom phrase? And I think as I reflected on this this week, this Jesus who loves, this Jesus who fulfills the prophets and the laws, this Jesus who sets the lines, it appears, in the end, he also overshoots, overestimates, overachieves. And so don't see Jesus here, uh, and I don't know who said it. I think it was during the assurance. This is not folded arm, furrowed brow, mad at you, Jesus. Imagine Jesus, the optimistic overachiever, grinning He's smiling at us. He's shining on us. He's lighting the way for us. He's inviting us with a gentle and open hand. And here's what he's saying, and he said this to the disciples a couple of chapters ago. Follow me. Follow me. I'm not going to wave a magic wand above you and poof, you're going to become these perfect disciples. Follow me. Because as you follow me, as you learn from me, as you take my yoke upon you, as you partner with me and keep in step with me, since I am the one who fills and loves and discerns, I am also the one who overachieves. And I'm going to show you and empower you to a righteousness and a way that will exceed the ways and the righteousness of the pious, doing-it-for-show religious leaders of the day. This is the way of exceeding. Not in the try-harder sense, but in this Jesus-following-a-step-at-a-time sense. It's not a matter of piety or religious public performance. It's living as people who already are salt and light. A people who do salty and lighty things. And again, more of this next Sunday. It's a people who have a heart for the underachiever, the underprivileged. It's a people who desire and chase after mercy and reconciliation versus going through the motions of measuring and managing sin. It's responding to Jesus' summons of love to be childlike, or like the little ones. It's being open to a way of humility, to a way of suffering in the world. Jesus calls each of us to these ways of better righteousness, these ways of justice and mercy and faith. And for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and for the rest of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will model and he'll tell stories, he'll tell parables, of what this life looks like as we follow Jesus and pursue this way of exceeding. And when I reflect on the Jesus way and this way of exceeding, I like to stop and ponder and remember that there's a power to this way. And it's not just trying hard. Um, Several years ago, there was that movement of what would Jesus do? And, And when people were told, well, where's the power to live like Jesus, people would, would, there was a teaching that would respond and just, well, just do what Jesus would do. 
And we'll wear bracelets with WWJD on them. And you'll just look at that bracelet and it'll give you the power to live like Jesus. And we found that in many ways that was an unsustainable life. Not the power way that Jesus invites us to. Instead, as we follow Jesus and seek this way of exceeding, we preachers and teachers in the coming weeks will point us back to the power and promises in the Gospel of Matthew. That strength and wisdom and courage to live this way comes from the Beatitudes, or it comes from the Lord's Prayer, or we'll read in Matthew 7 where Jesus teaches us how to pray. We'll also draw this power from reflecting and remembering our baptism. And then we'll even lean back to Matthew chapter 1, where the power is because Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is with us. Jesus working on us, working in us, working through us. And as we read and understand and maybe renew our relationship with Jesus' economy, we will lean on his words of wisdom and will be drawn back time and again to the beauty of beatitude number one. It's a word to the losers. It's a word to the least, to the last, and to the lost. It's hope and promise and vision for the wondering the faltering, the failing. Jesus says, congratulations, blessings. Fortunate are you, poor in spirit, you who are destitute, for yours is the kingdom of heaven.